All right, peeps, on today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, I have no Dre with me, but I will be doing another interview with seafood Jim Rosalando. Lots of gems, lots of Boston versus New York, lots of, well, we're going to talk about history and stuff like that. Let's get to it. And every day, I practice martial arts. Hey, Jim, how you doing, man? Hey, excellent, excellent. Good to see you. Good to be back. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's good good to have you again. It's been a while. I think I had you last on, uh, well, we did kind of an interview. I guess it still would have technically been for the dudes of Kung Fu the last time we did something officially yes. during the pandemic. I did an interview with you, and that was back still in the dudes of Kung Fu days. So it's been long overdue. We're now uh, approaching, or we may have already passed our 100th episode of the Kung Fu Genius, and now finally... We have the great Sifu Jim Rosalando on, so I'm very, very excited about that. So for, for those in our audience who don't know who you are, um, maybe uh, you could talk a little bit about how you uh, came to Wing Chun. Well, actually, first, why don't you tell people about the particular line of Wing Chun that you do, Pinsan Wing Chun, because this is not the uh, more common Yip Man Wing Chun, and maybe you can give a little bit of perspective as to what Pinsan Wing Chun is about. Sure, yeah. So, uh, Pinsan Wing Chun, similar to Hong Kong Wing Chun, like Yip Man and many of the Foshan styles, they all originate with Leong Jan. And uh, Pinsan Wing Chun specifically comes from Long Jan to Wong Wasam. And Wong Wasam uh, was a, a Gulo village guy. And when Long Jan was back in the village, he took on a couple of people at the end of his, uh, towards the end of his life. And Wang Wasam happened to be 4'11", about 90 pounds, and very small in stature. And so Long Jan, rather than the, uh, what most would be the Jing Sun or the square facing, he taught him a method utilizing side body, side turning and constant like rotation and side facing. And so the style of Pinsan Wing Chun originated with Long Jan to Wong Wasam. But there are other styles of Gulo Wing Chun and, uh, you know, like the Gu family and things like that. But Pinsan Wing Chun is from Wong Wasam. Okay, so, so basically Pinsan Wing Chun is a, almost you could say like a specific modification for one particular student from Long Jan to one particular student. Is that correct? Yeah, this, this style, this style was the way he was taught. Okay, so there was, I've done a little looking into this lately. So the platform utilized by Dong Jan when he was in Gulo Hoksan, he taught these 12 fists. And, you know, you go to different places, they may vary a little bit in the 12, like comparing Wang Wasam's 12 to maybe the Gu family 12. It's a little, little bit different. Uh, but he did teach these 12 movements, skills that are progressive to Wang Wasam um, versus Siwam Tao Chong Kyubuji. And uh, the side body emphasis is directly from Wang Wasam because Wang Wasam was a tiny guy. So what they like to say is he, he was so small uh, that, you know, anybody who was standing out in front of him, if you're extending your arm out and he extends his arm out, it's very difficult for to fight out in the long range because he doesn't have that natural attributes with the height and the reach and all that. So the style is an extremely close body fighting method. So we and we like to control very deep. So but with the twelve, the side facing, that was definitely stressed for Wang Wasam and more like because of his uh, his attributes. Hey, Kung Fu Genius fans. If you like what we do here, please consider supporting us on Patreon. For as little as five bucks a month, you'll get early access to episodes and other goodies not posted on the Kung Fu Genius channel. With higher levels of support, you can get your name in the description, a live chat with me, or at the baller level, you even get your own personal KFG episode with me as my guest. The link to our Patreon page is in the description of this episode below. Patreon's have a direct link to chat with me and get first dibs on any questions for Ask Me Anything episodes. Click on the link in the description for our Patreon page for more information, and I'll see you on Patreon. Got it. So when uh, when Dr. Leung Chan was in Gulo Village, so Wong Wasam was not the only person he was teaching. Like you mentioned, he taught other people as well. And using these, these 12 fists or 
12 exercises or 12 drills that seem to be the template by which he taught most people in that era of his teaching career. Is that correct? Yes, and it's, it's also possible that there were other people that also learned 12 movements. Even though Wang Wasam was specifically stressing the side body, some of like the other Gulo family, like the Gu family, they have 12 movements and they also like, like this Gu family, the Gu Wai Wa and Gu Wai Song and these people, they come from a, a lineage that maybe the grandfather was trained by Lung Jan and then later on they all got some training from different relatives and also training from Gu Su Lung, but they use 12 hands. And so even the style uh, that Gu Su Lung was teaching there's still a little bit of a mystery exactly who he learned from. Some people say he learned from Long Jan's son who went to Vietnam and brought it back. Some people say he was a student of one of Long Jan's son's students and brought it back from Vietnam to the village. But there's the, the, the legend is, is that somewhere in Vietnam, maybe this guy had learned it and brought the style back. Interesting. So I guess that kind of then begs the question. Um, if the majority of the Wing Chun world will assume that they come through the Yip Man line or similar, practice uh, using a platform of Siunam Tao Chum Buji, dummy, you know, kind of the, the Wing Chun that most people kind of recognize and understand. And they still technically come from Leung Chan, obviously Leung Chan being the Si Gong of Yip Man. Uh, so then the question is, okay, well, if Leung Chan did not teach the Siunam Tao Chumkyu Buji setup in his latter period when he was living in Gulo village, um, did he then teach the Siunam Tao Chumkyu Buji in his earlier period and then abandon it later? So do you have any theories or about this or what, what do you think about that? This is still a bit of a mystery to me. And, uh, I, I, is like you keep hitting these roadblocks, you know? So you automatically assume that Lung Jan teaches Chan Washun, Chan Washun teaches Ng Chung So and these other guys, and you know, everybody's doing something similar. And you know, there's a more likely that that's, that's true. But at the same time, I, may, I, I wonder, you know, did Lung Jan know maybe two variations? And he was teaching one in one area, and then he taught some other people a little bit of a variant of it, like the 12 hands versus the three forms. It's, it's possible, but you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit tricky. It's a little bit tricky to figure that one out because I, I sometimes I, I speculate that, you know, uh, he either had two or it's possible that if Lung Jan was only teaching, we have multiple sources of the 12 hands from him, but mm -hmm. this is from a different area, you know? And then you have multiple, you have sources of the, of the three forms, and this is in Foshan. So I, I'm still a little bit unsure. My gut tells me maybe he had two styles uh, because he had, you know, supposedly had a couple different teachers, you know, but uh, it also could be that he developed the 12. And some people, some people believe that there was no Wing Chun before Long Jan. That's, mm -hmm. that's a common thought process in Foshan too. The, some of the old people in Foshan think that. And uh, so they, they, maybe they regard him as one of the central figures, you know, or even- So are you saying that Dr. Leung Jan may have had a modified and traditional Wing Chun? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but he would have had, he, he, might, he might have had uh, a, couple, a couple of variants of it because the red boat happened to be a, a plethora of Gong Fu and so it's not unusual for Gung Fu masters to have uh, tweak things or maybe one guy was doing something based on some experience from before and things like that. But I'm still, a, I'm still in a little bit of a mystery spot as to, I can't 100% say yes or no on did he know two styles or did he develop this one 100 later on. I originally thought that he developed the 12 for, Lung, for Wang Wasam, but then I found out that there was 12 being practiced by other people. So it, it kind of changed my thought process. 
Interesting. Uh, yeah, I know because we've had, it's also been a while since I've talked to you and I know last time I talked to you, I think you still were of the opinion that those 12 were developed for Wong Wasam exclusively and now it seems this is kind of a, a, new, a newer revelation that there were other, other people who may have learned this 12 as well. How did, how did you find out about that? Was fr that from a trip or did someone tell you that or how did you find out about that? So I had, uh, I have a, a, a Joyce and Jesper in, that live in the mainland of China. And uh, Joyce is my runner to go interview people because I'm not there. So right. what we've done is anybody I could locate, I tried to send her to interview them and speak to them. And one of the groups that I was curious about was this Gusu Long lineage. And it's always been a mystery, a mystery, uh, you know, what did he teach? Who did he teach? And things like that. And so once we were able to connect to the Gu family, I found out that, mm, wait a minute, these guys are practicing 12 hands too. So it, it kind of, it made me think a little bit different than in the past when the truth is in the past, only Wang Wasam's lineage was practicing the 12 that I could find. Mm -hmm. uh, but now, uh, you know, there's, it's more than one lineage that is practicing 12, although with a slightly different emphasis. So if we already run into all these little blockades by the history of Leung John, how, how reliable is any of the history that predates Leung John in terms of what people can accurately report? Because it, there seems to be a big issue in Wing Chun where people stand behind these like ironclad guarantees that, you know, at this time, this is exactly what happened. This is exactly how the art got transmitted. And it, it seems pretty obvious to me when you talk about hitting roadblocks with Dr. Leung John, or we're talking about, uh, I guess, late uh, 19th century or mid to late 19th century, we're already hitting roadblocks, yet there are plenty in Wing Chun who make pretty serious claims about stuff that predates that. I mean, how, how much, how reliable do you think any of that stuff is that predates Leung John? Like you just said a moment ago, he, he, Wing Chun may have began with him at least as in terms of the name. I mean, is there anything we can, is there anything we know about this time before Leung John? Very difficult now because if the only common ground between Guo and Foshan is Wang Wabo. And so both, uh, both towns and both lineages all say Lung Jan was a student of Wang Wabo. But in Foshan, you also have them saying, okay, he also trained with Long Yitai. Right. And in Gulo, they even have like another story. So one of the issues I had with the early research in the Gulo was that most of the information came from Jan Suk, uh, Feng Chan. And Feng Chan left the village and so I didn't, I should have, but I didn't even consider that it was possible that maybe because of his uh, leaving the village and being exposed to the other styles and more likely reading about the other styles, histories and stuff like that, when, you know, you talk to him and you interviewed him, I'm not 100% sure that he was also relaying some info from the other stuff that he may have seen and just automatically assume these are stories about Long Jan. Sure. And so uh, the, it, it wasn't until I got the actual history from Fong Dat. And Fong Dat organized a little bit of a... So towards the end of his life, he, he, was the, he was the eldest, not the eldest son, but he was basically the first student of Fong Yi Min. And Fong Yi Min was the nephew of Wang Wasam and the person that the eight disciples of Wang Wasam, they tasked him to go speak to Wang Wasan to get him to teach. And uh. he was a relative. And so these guys, most of them never left the village. So some of the history and the stories are what we would say a little bit more of a traditional Gulo history. And so when I saw what they, what they were saying was, is that Foshan again says, Wang Wabo to Lung Yi Tai. And Gulo says Wang Wabo, and then later Long Jan goes and gets extra training from Yim Wing Chan. <laughs> so, really? Yes, yes, yes. Uh -huh. Well, there's some stories. There's, there's different legends in the village that uh, uh, Long Long Bak Lao, Long Bak Lao, 
or long 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 guai and so long long guai the rumor was is that he was potentially a godchild of long bak lao and yin wing chun and uh, but uh it turned out that i don't know if it's true right. if, sure, that's, sure. if that's true or not but uh the story is is that long long jan gets training from wang wabo and then later his grand aunt uh he goes to visit uh, yim wing chan somewhere in like fujian or something like this and uh -huh. he, he learns some extra techniques from her and uh his style is kind of uh influenced by her as well so that that's the gulo legend again i uh -huh. i i'm not 100 I, i'm not really on board with it uh, right the story the only common ground you have between gulo and foshan is wang wabo interesting interesting anything before that anything before that it's a mystery it's not so easy to prove and it's a, it's it's definitely still mystery it's, to say something is concrete is is i don't think it's possible at this point right absolutely uh, but that doesn't stop people from having very concrete opinions about exactly what was what i think that's the frustrating thing about even having some conversations like this and it's why i always love having conversations with you because you one of the first things you do is you always talk about the limits of what we possibly can know at this time. Um, and there's a certain uncertainty, I think, when you're dealing with history that makes people feel uncomfortable. And sometimes they'll just make claims just because it sounds nicer to have a solid claim than to uh, say the honest thing, which is, yeah, we don't really know. Um, you know, uh, I was, I was, yeah. years ago, I was a little bit I was kind of confident that, okay, I found this Cho Suantau and the Suantau is probably maybe an ancestral set and we have this poetry. But then later on, the Cho family were supposed to have a narrow horse Suantau. Okay? Mm -hmm. And they were also supposed to have a Shaolin Tao that they nickname and develop later using Shaolin horses, which is the Seiping Ma and the Gungbo, you know, the long horses. Right. That so the when i saw the uh, uh, uh the senior of the guy i had gotten the uh cho family set from who was actually practicing that set with the wide horses and then the long and the long stances uh -huh. so uh i used to think oh wait a minute i've learned the narrow horse sulantau but maybe I, I, I probably didn't. I, I'm probably what happened was is the guy took the the wide horse set and he just adopted the Yiji Kim Yang Ma narrow horse to that. So I, I'm not 100% sure that you know what I used to think was locked is not not I, you know maybe not. I don't think so. I don't, I'm not. So sure. you're saying you don't think that there was a narrow horse Silim Tao before? I do. I just don't mm -hmm. think I had it. And what I base my research off of, I, I can't go with that anymore because. It, I, I'm pretty. I'm pretty confident that that set was the a public set. If it was a public set, that makes me speculate about the poetry that goes along with it as well. Okay. You know, why is this this set that was developed later uh, have supposedly the original poetry? So it, it just it, it it made me made me think a little bit differently. Okay, and for for the people in our audience who might not be kind of hip to that, this was one of the big theories uh, just a few years ago that was kind of one of the more prevalent ones in terms of the history of Wing Chun that uh, there was this Siu Lin Tao form, which is different from Siu Nim Tao, which is the little idea. Um, it's a little training for little first training. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Uh, and that was a longer form that essentially, uh, I mean, I'm, you, you know, anytime you try to kind of recap something, you, you're always, it's, it's, it's always obviously more nuanced than that. But um, basically, it was a one long form that kind of encapsulated what one could say later became Siunam Tao Chumkyu Byuji if you kind of broke it into three parts, but it used to be one longer form. And then for a while, it seemed like maybe that was the original Wing Chun set and that got broken down. Um, and that was a theory that was being bandied about by a lot of Wing Chun researchers 10 years ago, maybe even a little bit longer. Um, but you, you're basically saying you don't, you don't quite believe that anymore. 
I'm not 100% sure anymore. And uh, A, I've never seen the so-called secret narrow horse set. So this is my, my opinion right now. I don't think I've ever seen it. It's not online. You can't find it. The Cho family are extremely secretive. And mm -hmm. talking to certain people in the Cho family, I, I'm not, it seems like almost 99% of them don't have it either. They all uh -huh. practice this sort of sulam, sort of uh, like with the wide horses, and right. the the flavor is a little bit more. Uh, it's it's definitely it's definitely not this like the way most of the people are practicing. It's 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 definitely like some southern sulam gung fu. It's not uh, it's not like all you know the uber soft and all that. It's kind not of our thing. weird. It's not our weird cult kung fu. It's not our weird culty Wing Chun Kung Fu. <laughs> so uh, I guess from there we can kind of talk a little bit about, you know, and, and again, we may have already kind of gone over the answer a little bit. Um, you know, at one point you felt pretty solid on this Siu Lim Tao theory um, and which had some connection to some style called Erme from, from Western China and then that being infused later with White Crane. Um, is that still part of your general understanding of how Wing Chun came about or have you refi refined that even? Because obviously Wing Chun certainly has a white crane, a Fujian white crane element to it. I mean, most Southern martial arts, it's, we, it, it's like in our DNA, you can see the stamps of white crane in Hong Kun, in Charlie Fat, in Wing Chun, in many styles. Um, but the question was always whether Wing Chun in particular was also then fused with something else, which gave it that slightly different look. Do you still believe in a general framework like that, or have you abandoned that? Do you have a new hypothesis? What's your, what's your current general understanding of the formation of Wing Chun? Um, so a lot of that came out because of the story saying snake and crane. Wing Chun right. is an evolution of the snake and crane. How long has that story been around? You know what I mean? So I'm not 100% sure about that. So, but the poetry itself that we had, I had it, uh, Master Fu of the Erme, uh, I had him review it. And he found traces of uh, Erme poetry inside that stuff. But I did a secondary review and I had somebody go through it. I had Joyce actually go through it. Because when I was sitting with Master Fu, I actually had him highlight the lines that were supposedly from his thing. But actually, of the, of the poetry lines, it was only the first two that were exact. The other ones were a couple of words that were in between each of these lines. And so, for example, though, the one that was exact was two hands raising, dividing the yin and yang. Well, you know, if you see most styles do this kind of two hands raising, you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. pretty, it's a pretty common thing. So, um, yeah, I'm not, uh, the, I'm not 100% sure with that. Mm -hmm. Sure, the, sure. Again, it's uh, snake and crane. When did the snake and crane theory come from? So I don't know. And then when you look about the, the, the trademarks of the art, so I always thought that, Wing Chun was, you know, maybe the evolution of uh, Fan Chin Yang's uh, white crane and then mixed with something to soften it up. So you had a San Chin base. If they take the natural style and just move it up, you almost have a Yiji Kim Yang Ma. But the body mechanics are completely different and than San Chin. The breathing is completely different than San Chin. And, um, you know, it's, uh, uh, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not, even the story is a little bit different. Okay, so the the Fan Chin Yang statue in Fujian has the Chao Yang. Uh, in one of the signs that erect Chao Yang. So we thought, okay, well, Chao Yang, this is Chao Yang. But, it, it, you know, but if you look at the story, Fan Chin Yang, and compare it to the southern Sulam of the old Hankun, uh, the old Hankun, Hong He Gun's wife was Fong Wing Chun. So, right. you know, so, you know, it's... I never gave Hong Kun much of a thought when it came to looking into the art, because whenever I thought about Hong Kun, I'm thinking about Titsin and I'm thinking about the wide horses. I'm like, I'm, no, I can't be. But there was, seemed to be an old Sulam Gung Fu that later evolves into Hong Kun, and maybe Wing Chun is more related to this 
old Sulam Gung Fu, where they had these, you know, five pattern stuff where there was a snake, there was a crane, and there was other stuff inside this, and the story of Wing Chun. And so there's a lot of elements that kind of help leaning towards that theory, more so maybe today than I think of uh, Fujian Crane. You know, not to say that Fujian Crane didn't have a heavy emphasis on so many arts. It did. It's obvious that it, that it did. But in Fujian, you had these Sanchin-based arts, and then you also had this Sulam Gung Fu. So even Hong He Gun was supposedly studying some kind of Sulam Gung Fu, and they learned the narrow horse style from his wife, but they also had this other styles over there. So I think in Fujian, there probably was a couple of root, root sort of styles that were practicing, and maybe one had a more of a Sanchin sort of base, and then the other one had that basic Sulong Gung Fu base. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, no, I, I I love this, and also like for our audience, um, this is the reason why I like doing interviews over doing the normal Ask Me Anything episodes, because I get to learn stuff, I get to shut up, I get to hear someone else talk, and this is always far, far more interesting for me. Um, another hypothesis that's been kind of thrown around a little bit is Wing Chun having some kind of connection to tai chi or at least some kind of grand old internal martial art um what are your thoughts about that well that all came about as okay so wing chun was always a soft supposedly a little bit softer style than most of these other styles you know and they always say it was a uh uh a revolutionary style you know it had all this this softness and techniques compared to some of the other styles Right. But a lot of the Gung Fu has similar techniques and things sure. like that, you know. Yeah. So, but the softness really became the emphasis of the internal fad due to the Erme and the Fujian. And this Erme seemed to have been what kind of set everybody into a uh, internal rage. Right. Know? It's you all know? the rage now. It's a rage. And uh, especially, especially in Europe. And, um, but... Hermes has got nothing to do with Tai Chi. So even if Hermes, the snake, snake hand and snake body and all that kind of stuff was uh, um, that theory that they said snake body, crane boxing, but the, 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 the snake arm is the signature of the, of the, and the silkworm palm is the signature of Hermes. But <clears throat> yeah, I don't, I'm, uh, it, it, everybody, what happened was is, I never really expected it to go to, to to go wild like this. You know what I right. mean? It was always a uh, it was always like genuine research. What about where did this stuff come from? Why are we like the way we are? You know, I mean, how come we're a little different from these other arts and stuff like right. that? And right. so that was the main purpose of looking into the ancestry of the Wing Chun, just to check the evolution and see how we, you know, how did we arrive where we are today? Sure. And nowadays. The internal, um, the internal label is so popular that um, everybody is just, you know, okay, I, I practice John Zhuang. Okay, I practice Wing Chun. Okay, I practice Tai Chi. I practice Wing Chun. Okay, I practice, you know, Baduan Jin and practice Wing Chun. And so you get like everybody seems to be uh, mixing their own or their previous experience with other sorts of internal arts and using it with the Wing Chun and uh, to develop like the, the modern um, internal Wing Chun arts, really. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that's fine. I mean, whether people want to mix their Wing Chun with internal arts or modern arts or whatever, I think that's fine. I think that the problem is only when they, they take that extra step and make a claim about the historicity of that connection. And so, like, because obviously in a modern day, there's lots of different choices. People can mix and match their martial arts. There are guys like um, Mark Phillips, you know, who, who's like a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. And he has, like, a very heavy influence because of his career in terms of, like, the self-defense aspect and the things that he teaches. And I think all that stuff is great. But I don't think he's making any claims about the history of Wing Chun being, you know, about your tactical, psychological response to self-defense in the modern age as being passed down from Dr. Leung John or something like that. And and so, you know, I think it's always like th there's always just this one step where it's like I'm, I'm with them until they make that step about, um, well, there's some kind of spurious connection to the history. Like Wing Chun is actually really some variation of Tai Chi or something like that. 
Yeah, I could care less what somebody does with their Wing Chun. If it if it makes it works for them, that's great. But the you know you got to be careful with uh, what you describe it as, or how you right. how you sell it, or you know what I mean. And as long as you're, you're honest, you know that's that's all that matters. And so if somebody practices Wing Chun, and I practice John Zhuang, I practice Wing Chi Gong. You know what I mean? But I practice Pin Sun as Pin Sun. I can't say that you know the John Zhuang hasn't helped. Uh, like center me and improve my balance and my physical awareness and things like that. Yeah, it has, and uh, and it made a, it made a difference. And uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, that's John Zhuang, and uh, this is something different. They're two different processes. Right. Absolutely. So we we touched really briefly on uh, Red Boat Wing Chun. Um, you know from. From my very kind of uh, poor understanding of Wing Chun history, I uh, suppose Red Boat Wing Chun is a period of Wing Chun's history around the 1850s from which the art was mostly known, I suppose, by people who were literally traveling on boats, either disguised as opera performers or maybe just workers on the opera was one of the ways that they could, I guess, stay on the DL from the, the Qing government. Um, and so there's a lot of hoopla about Red Boat Wing Chun. And I know this is kind of like a, a weird connection, but there, there are many people who believe that uh, Bruce Lee, when he was living in Seattle, um, he had like an avuncular f character in his life, like someone who was like, I guess, a friend of his father's. He was also an opera star. He worked at Ruby Chow's. His name was Fu Young. Yeah, yeah. And from most of the notes, uh, even from Jesse Glover, um, it's pretty clear that Fu Young was basically kind of a an uncle-like character in Bruce Lee's life and uh, taught him a couple things, um, most likely something from the opera background or whatever. But then there's some really hardcore maniacs out there that are like, Fook Young taught Bruce Lee red boat Wing Chun and quote unquote completed his training in the system, which is odd because Bruce never ever made such a claim in the rest of his life about having completed any version of the Wing Chun system, red boat or otherwise. Um, is that kind of historically possible that someone uh, in the in 1950s, 1960s Seattle would know a red boat Wing Chun that I suppose would be at least similar enough to what Bruce Lee had done to complete him on the system? Or is this more a fabrication of, is this just something we talk about in hindsight about a period of time? Or is there actually a red boat Wing Chun as a transmissible art? I mean, I know there are people who claim it, but um, is this actually a thing? That's, you know, it, it, to say that what the Red Boat Arts, it was just, it was this hub for all sorts of Kung Fu. And so, but a lot of it was like this Southern Sulam Kung Fu that maybe later developed into Hung Kun. And uh, then you had other stuff and things like that. So you, you can look at some of these there's some lineages that claim to be red, you know, red boat wing chun, red boat wing chun, but you know, you they're all almost all of them are evolution, evolutionary right. dogs. You know, they 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 haven't. Uh, I I don't personally believe that they were. You know, okay, uh, some guy on the red boat taught it, and by the time it got to Fook Young, it's the same art. It's right. not, it's not possible. It's not right. possible. And I, I personally, I don't think I don't think he he coached Bruce Lee and uh, at. at Maybe they met, they exchanged some techniques, or you know what I mean. But I've seen right. some of, I've seen some of the Fook Young stuff, and I, it doesn't look, doesn't even doesn't look like normal normal Red Bull going for. Yeah, that's always my issue with that. I mean, like I'm one of the few guys. A lot of people just kind of accept that, even to the extreme that Fook Young was like more important than Yip Man and Wong Sun Leung in Bruce Lee's life, and uh, I I tend to tell people that they need to pump their brakes there because having seen a lot of the stuff that the Fook Young guys do, I go, well, I mean, if, and also the thing is, well, if Fook Young taught Bruce Lee all this super awesome stuff, how come Bruce Lee seemingly didn't really use it or teach it or pass it on, uh, and then still have, feel the need to create Jeet Kune Do in his post Fook Young era, right? It's always kind of my, you know, like if the stuff that he learned was so super special, well, Bruce still had a hard time beating Wong Jack Man with the uh, with the Fook Young stuff. So anyway, um, bef before people start shooting arrows at me, let's go to the next topic. Uh, so <laughs> so uh, let's talk about some an another person who is kind of a 
I suppose, a connection between um, the Pinsan Wing Chun you practice and, and the Hong Kong-based Wing Chun that I practice, and that is this mystery figure of Leung Bik, the so-called son of Leung Jan, because you talked about Leung Jan's sons earlier. So for the three people listening to this who don't know the story, supposedly Leung Bik uh, was, was a son of Leung Jan, who had made it to Hong Kong in the early 20th century, and although the story is never quite agreed upon, for whatever reason, somehow he ends up meeting a young Yip man in Hong Kong, and maybe around 1912, 1913, something like that, and ends up coaching a young Yip man who had already learned Wing Chun from his, you know, from his Sifu Chan Mason and from Ng Chung So and those guys, and then basically coached him and refined him and taught him, you know, maybe the theory in more detail because supposedly Leung Bik being the son of Leung Jan was a bit more scholarly in a way that uh, Chan Mason was kind of famously not known to be a very scholarly person. So, you know, th there's this idea that this Leung Bik character became kind of a secondary finishing school for Yip Man's Wing Chun, right? And then the pendulum has swung on this story pretty wildly in, in, in a number of years from people just accepting Leung Bik was, you know, this secondary person who taught Yip Man to suddenly Leung Bik was a fairy tale character who did not exist and Yip Man secretly learned from Chu Chong Man as an old man instead of when he was younger to people now maybe coming back to the Leung Bik story. So I know we've discussed this before. Um, do you personally think Leung Bik existed? That's my kind of first question. And then the follow-up question would be, and did that person teach Yip Man? So Leung Bik, uh, he, he certainly existed. Um, and actually, so <clears throat> Leung Jan, the, the, the family and the descendant, the sons of Leung Jan, this is an interesting topic because if you look at the genealogy and the, uh, the booklet information provided, uh, I can't, I'm drawing a blank right now, but it's the, the son-in-law, uh, the great-great-grandson that was supposedly living in Hong Kong. Uh, I don't know why I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the guy's name right now. It's called age-related It's called age -related decline. Yeah, once you hit 50 and over, you, these things happen, you know? <laughs> so great, I have it already at my age. Don't worry, it's fine. <laughs> uh, great-great-grandson or great-grandson of Lung Jan was, uh, he's in, uh, uh, was in Hong Kong. Now he's relocated to the United States. And, wow. And um, he was Lung Bix's grandson. So Lung Bik's dad, you know, uh, and him there. So Lung Bik goes to Hong Kong. Uh, he, his father, the son, the son, this is the grandson. He has absolutely nothing to do with Wing Chun. He doesn't want anything to do with any Wing Chun people. Can you blame him? And then, I, I, I can't blame him at all. If, if I didn't teach Wing Chun for a living, I would have nothing to do with Wing Chun yeah, people if I could help so. it. That, that, that's the scoop. Lung Bik was, according to them, he was definitely a legit real person. They have the genealogy of that. Supposedly, he ran a department store or opened a department store or something in Hong Kong. Um, but again, going back to the family in, of Lung, Lung Jan, the booklet provided uh, by the great-great-grandson there, it shows that Lung Jan had numerous wives and uh -huh. more, like, more likely had children with many of these wives so it could explain the mystery of oh some people say uh it was lung Bik and the other brother and there was two sons of lung jan well maybe that's true two sons from this wife but there was probably maybe there was some uh, you know there was other wives that they're claiming he had if my memory's correct was around like nine daughters and maybe eight sons or something like this. Ah, so 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 Leung Jan kept busy is what you're saying. He was, he was an active guy. He was healthy. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, the, the one that everybody goes back to is Lung Bik. And uh, uh, yeah, more likely, for sure, he was a real person. I, I would bet dollars on that. 
So what if you could transport back in time for a front row seat into the life and legacy of one of the most respected Wing Chun masters in history? Gong Sao Wang, a tribute, direct students on Sifu Wong Shunung offers you just that. Through a series of exclusive conversations, 25 direct students share anecdotes, reflections, and personal stories offering in-depth understanding of the man behind the legend. Order your copy today across 12 Amazon marketplaces with free shipping. I absolutely love this book and I think you'll find it an indispensable part of your collection. I can't recommend it enough. Get yours today. Go to Amazon, type in Gong Sao Wong, and there you go. Interesting. So th then I guess that begs the question as to whether he taught Yip Man, then what would he have taught Yip Man now that we have this kind of constant question in terms of what was what did Leung John actually teach? Do you have any theories of what Leung Bik may have taught Yip Man? So uh, I... If I was, uh, I wish I should have reviewed some of my old notes. <laughs> uh, That's okay. The, it's, it's, it's still interesting to me because, you know, Lung, the Lung family was obviously, they were quite private, you know, except for Lung Jan, who was obviously a notable figure and a popular guy. Um, you need to double, I need to double check the dates and the timelines of who was where, when they were where. And I believe they were in the Hong Kong at the same time or around the same time. And uh, so it's quite, it, what did he teach him? I don't know. Whereas sometimes like, let's say if I, 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 I study from Mr. Moy, but I visit the Fungs in China or I go to New York to see Wong Fai and things like this. Am I, I'm not really learning another complete system. These guys are giving me skills to refine my techniques or maybe some different, uh, different ideas and different ways of using these things. So it's possible if they were training together, he might have taken and built on what he had already learned and maybe help refine it or help teach him some concepts and things like that. But I'm just speculating. Yeah, there's another rumor that Leung Bik may have been the person to teach Yip Man the weapons, mm -hmm. and which kind of brings us down another bit of a rabbit hole. So in the Pinsan Wing Chun, uh, at least as far as I understood, um, you do have a pole, but you don't have knives. Correct. So yeah. then that always kind of presses Wing Chun people, Yip Man Wing Chun people, into... A kind of, well, I don't find it an uncomfortable question, but you know how Wing Chun people are and Kung Fu people are. If the, if the form they're doing isn't secretly super old and the person who designed it has been dead for multiple generations, then it's too new and it's not real and blah, blah, blah. And so if there's supposedly no knife techniques in Leung Chan's lineage, um, where did the knives come from? <laughs> So, it, it, you know, the, um, let's go back to the, the Wong Wasam and the Gu family. Okay, so these are the two main lineages of Gula Wing Chun. And Wong Wasam was taught the 12 side body hands and the Sambin Bung Guan, the pole set. Okay, and the pole is really, it's just designed to enhance the fist. You know, it, it just it sharpens the dim power and your ging and things like that. And it does that. But we have no knives in this but the Gu family seemed to have some knives. So, huh. you know, maybe maybe that we didn't get, the uh, Wang Wasam didn't get the knives or Lung Jen didn't teach him the knives. Maybe the Gu family got some knives. I, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure anymore. I'm not right. sure. I know, you know, the story is, is that, okay, the Sudo Hoi, the guys get the, the knives from the Sudo Hoi and later they implement it into the Wing Chun. My personal belief is Wing Chun is the empty hand boxing. Everything else was added later. That's mm -hmm. my that's my personal belief. So you know there was interaction with the uh, the other guys on the red boat and point uh, five uh, pole was a very popular pole in you know the south. So more likely the pole yeah. tech maybe grabbed it. Okay, let's Wing Chun needs a long weapon. Okay, so later on maybe they see something. Okay, maybe we can add some knives to it. I I believe that Wing Chun was the empty hand boxing. The wooden dummy, the knives, the pole, I, I personally think that all came later. Right, right. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, I mean, of course, uh, I think a hard thing, I think, for a lot of people to understand when we talk about the history of these martial arts is that um, 
most people will tell you, no, this is exactly what happened. But the reason they're telling you that is because that's what their Sifu told them. Yeah. And the reason their Sifu told them that is because that's what their Sifu told them. So I think what ends up happening is people have like an almost religious-like defense of what's essentially hearsays and stories told over time and the game of telephone, I tell this person, that person tells that person and then compound that over multiple generations. Um, I think it's pretty clear to see why it, it, most of these stories are unreliable at best, um, even if they are defended um, by their adherents with like a, almost like a religious-like authority. The, the interesting thing is Yip Man in his own, Yip Man gave two interviews to New Marshall Hero Magazine, both pretty much like in the last year of his death. So they're, they're very late in terms of, of his own life. And um, we translated them in, in one article is a little bit slightly bizarre because the, the, um, the author of that article was like putting in his own like uh, Wang Chun eternal spring ideas. But the second interview is interesting. And Yip Man himself you know, talked about how the the poll is like obviously Lokdin Bunguan is a is a style of poll that was all over southern China. It's obviously not specific to Wing Chun. There are other styles that have it as well. Um, but he says in it, the only time he really talks about it is the knife techniques are derived from the fist fighting techniques. And Yip Man says that really quite clearly in there. Um, and that is, I think, the closest thing we have to any kind of statement in terms of like, you know, we could say so-and-so said this. And so I thought that that was kind of interesting. Obviously, when you see the knife techniques, they have a lot of, at least in Hong Kong Wing Chun, obviously a lot of parallels to the fist fighting techniques. That's why I'm always curious about the knife techniques from these older styles, because I want to see how much do they actually look like Wing Chun hand movements with knives, or are they actually more like traditional knife techniques? Have you seen a lot of knife stuff out of that era of, the Fatsan era, anyone who's doing the knives over there, and does it look much different from what the other people are doing, or does it look just like Wing Chun with knives in your hands? I mean, I've seen the Yung San knives and things like that. They all look kind of, they all look kind of similar. Then there's some weird stuff like you see some of these guys like the Choi family. They got these long bubble broadswords and stuff like that. And so, but the, the short knives, uh, uh, you know that. As long as they, they extend out and they're basically moving like the hands pretty much. Right, know? right. I'm not, uh, I haven't investigated that stuff too much because I, it's just, I, I don't know the knives. So I can't, I can't, uh, it never really was a, it wasn't a huge interest point for me to like look into. But it definitely, right. if you watch the set of uh, like uh, some of the Yunke san knives and things like that, yeah, they're all kind of similar. Looks right. like hands. Yeah. yeah, don't say that to those people, though, because they will tell you how different what they're doing is from everyone else, right? Same yeah. thing. It's our knives and our knives are not at all the same like they're, they're not. They're it's all totally proud. different. You see, we, we hold it this way instead of this way. So, you know, yeah. It's totally different. It's not the same. Uh, maybe, uh, which something we haven't talked about yet is a little bit about your martial arts history. So obviously you're known, um, certainly to my students and I think to most of the listeners is obviously an expert in Pinsan Wing Chun with a, this great knowledge of Wing Chun history in general, but you did not always do Pinsan Wing Chun. As a matter of fact, you used to be one of them Hong Kong Wing Chun guys from what I understood. Is that correct? I did. I did. So the, it was around 1989. I started and, um, I had, I was at a Kung Fu school in Boston and I looked over in the corner and there was this guy, he was, we were all practicing like, you know, uh, uh, Wushu basics and Sing Chuan and other stuff, you know what I mean? And, uh, but then there was this guy over in the corner and he was just doing like these simple moves and like punching and, and I, I'm watching him and I'm like, boy, that looks really effective stuff. It's not, it's not flashy, you know what I right. mean? Right. And so I, I went up to him and I just I asked him, I said, what is this? And he says, well, it's kind of like a modified Wing Chun. It's Wing Chun, but it's like a modified version. And I said, oh, so I took like a couple of I trained with him like just two or three times. And I'm like, I like this stuff. Let me go find a Wing Chun school and, uh -huh. learn, and learn Wing Chun. Where, where were you learning that Wushu? Was, the, uh, was that in Boston, Chinatown? It was uh, right across from the old Boston Garden, and it was Yao Li's Academy, which Yao was originally a, uh, uh, the, one of the top students of Chan Poi. And oh, okay. 
Walum. So they were practicing yes. uh, Northern Nantes, and they were also practicing Wushu because he had gone to China. And these guys were dominating the tournament circuits and stuff like that. They, he had some champions in there, and they were, you know, nice people. It was a really good workout, and it was my first kung fu. Because I was, when I was a kid, I studied Tang Soo Do, and then in high school, I stopped because we were all playing sports. And then after right. high school, I wanted to start kung fu or try something different. And then I was, you know, I used to watch the um, kung fu theater on Sunday mornings. Yes. And during the commercial, this school would come out and they would do demonstrations. It was really amazing to watch. So I, awesome. went to, I went to find them and I ended up going there for about a year or so. And But uh, uh, eventually after I saw this guy doing his movements and Wing Chun, I just, uh, I just like, dropped there. I went right for it. I was like a fiend. <laughs> I was like... Well, it's, it's also funny because like in my mind while you're telling the story, of course, I'm like picturing the story in my head, right? And being that you're from Boston and you were talking about doing some wushu stuff, I'm thinking like, oh, you were at Bo Sim Max School and that dude you saw on the corner doing Wing Chun was a young Donnie Yen. <laughs> <laughs> that's like how the that's how the story was playing in my head, right? This so it was great to <laughs> Bo Sim Mak and Yao Li. Uh, Bo Sim Mak was right in Chinatown, maybe not even one mile from where Yao's school was. They were both the two main uh, schools over there. Did you ever run into Donnie Yen before, like back in the day? No, but I, I used to see his sister was at the club over there, and I, I would pop in, watch a class, and things like that, you know. And uh, the sister was there, but I never, uh, I never met Donnie. Uh huh. And then you, so then you started doing. Then you found Wing Chun, or where did you find Wing Chun after that? Oh, well, after that in Boston, and not in Boston. There was no Wing Chun in Boston. In Cambridge, there was two schools, and they were all within like you know, a mile of each other. One of the schools was the Moisan. He had a student here that came to, it was either BU or BC. He went to college here. And mm -hmm. so while he was here, he was teaching, uh, you know, the Moyat Kung Fu and Lee Moisan's uh, Wing Chun. And, but when he had left, the, the students were kind of like running the club. So uh -huh. I, I, I went there first. I found them. I went in and I took some classes for maybe like three months and it was mostly, it was just like a student club. And right. so I, 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 I decided uh, it's not the sort of coaching I'm, I'm kind of hoping right. for, you know, I'm looking sure. for, you know, like a pro that can like teach you and tell you the concepts and why you're doing everything. And uh, the, the students over there uh, didn't have that sort of... Right, right. Uh, you want someone with white eyebrows who's like cranky. I need someone and, who can hold the beard, you know, like... say. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I left. I went down the street and I checked out this other school. And then the other school, I said, well, you know, is this... You guys teach the three forms? Do you guys, is this normal Wing Chun? And they said, uh, you know, well, we run parallel to Yip Man. We're not from the Hong Kong school. We kind of another lineage that run parallel to them. And, but that's all they knew. They really had no idea. They didn't know that was Google Wing Chun. They, they didn't know much about it. And so, but I stayed there for maybe a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I kind of, then at that point I said, hey, I maybe need to go find a, a more like a traditional school with the, you know, some, high-level coaches and things like that. Right, right. It just happened to be that Randy Williams was coming to the area, and uh, I had drove down to New York just to meet him to see what he was doing. Right. And because in Boston, like I said, we only had the two schools. But I said, okay, so maybe if I go to this guy, I can learn Augustine Fong stuff. He's got videos that I can use for assistance, like just as to remember it. And, you know, so I went to him, and I kind of hit it off with him and – I spent about five years with him and uh, I traveled to Los Angeles and I traveled to Spain with him and we made mag uh, videos for Citron Negro magazine and we made other videos and things like that. And, but uh, I think it was, uh, I had learned Silentau, I had learned Chum Q, I had learned the first like, 60 moves of the Jong. Then after that, uh, I kind of started searching for other stuff. The internet started getting popular. Uh, I had heard about these guys in New York practicing uh, Fatsa Wing Chun, so I kind of went to go find them. And I ended up becoming close friends and students with a uh, student of Santo Barbales, who was basically Henry Leung's uh, main guy. Right. 
right. I went to Henry Leung's uh, herbal or little Dita clinic that was on uh, Elizabeth Street, and then uh, then we had a place on Mott Street, and so I was just I would drive down. I would get up in the morning. I drive to New York. I get there by like 9 a.m. I train till 12:30, one o'clock. How, how early were you getting up to get there by 9 a.m.? Uh, I would leave at six in uh, like 5:30, six in the morning. Wow! And I would get there about three and a half hours, no traffic, and I would go there and I would meet him. We would train in the basement. I trained for three, four hours, and then I'd leave around one o'clock and I'd come back. Wow! And I did that every other week for two and a half years. Wow! And, uh, at, at, during that time period, I kind of, I kind of realized that you know maybe the style, the, the the history of the style might not have been what they said it was. You uh-huh. know, Henry was kind of a, a little bit of a secretive guy, and like most mm-hmm. guys, I think they like to, you know, they, they embellish some stories and things like uh-huh. that. It's they normal. like their secrets too. Yeah, it's normal. It's normal. So I, I started looking into. Uh, I went back online and I, I said, oh, maybe the style I used to practice is Gula Wing Chun. They don't have forms. It sounded like it's Gula Wing Chun. Uh-huh. So I tried to search for these guys again, and so but everybody I found was kind of similar to how we were learning in the other range. So Mr. Moy actually taught pretty consistently these groups and the, the couple groups of people that he had taught. And so my end result was I quit. <laughs> I wasn't happy. I, and so I quit and I trained Southern Praying Mantis for about a year. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, during that time period, I just said, I got to find the guy who taught these people. And so I ended up, uh, me and my buddy, my buddy had a friend who was a pri- uh, private detective and we hired him to find him. And uh, we ended up finding him and I went to the door and I read his name on the door. I'm like, ah, I found him. I found him. You know what I mean? And then I, I'm like, what am I going to do? I can't knock on the door. So I left. <laughs> so I then at the same same time, a student of Yip Ching, who was a friend of mine, he, I was talking to him and he goes, oh yeah, my dad knows Henry Moy. Uh, really? Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, so he ended up, uh, the father called Mr. Moy and I ended up going to meet him at a Chinese restaurant and where he was working and that's when it all began. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you've also in the past have organized these amazing seminars uh, in, in Boston where you have like two or three different Sifu's teaching. You invited me a couple times. Um, you had um, Sifu Mark Phillips. You had uh, Phil Romero. Obviously, you taught there as well. Are you planning on doing those again? Yes, and I wanted to do another one this year, but it turned out I had some issues with family, and obviously the last couple of years we had these lockdowns and a little bit right. of other problems going on. That you know, For sure, for sure, yes. To do it. So, um, yes, I, now that... Uh, everything's back to normal. My goal is to do uh, for the spring, maybe March. Uh, awesome. And, uh, yeah, be- that's exciting. I was like doing that's a great group. Yeah, what was that? You'd be getting the message. Yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah I, I always had fun teaching those and, and you know, meeting a different group. I, I like every once in a while to kind of get out and teach a group that's Outside of like the normal students that I teach, just to kind of, you know, it's it's good for perspective to see. It's it's easy to kind of get caught in your own little universe after a while, and then you want to make sure that you know what you're teaching and stuff kind of is not just something in a self-contained universe, but it could be helpful for people who are coming from outside as well. Um, what are your what are your thoughts on the future of Wing Chun? Um, well, Kung Fu in general is in a tough position. Yeah, so I, I kind of. I have a little bit of contact with uh, YMAA, the uh, Yangs Publishing and things like that. And I had spoken to uh, the publishers over there a while ago. And they had told me that in the United States over the past decade, for like if if there's 10 schools, eight have closed. You know what I mean? Like 80% of the schools or 70 to 80% of these Kung Fu schools have closed. And... uh, and especially with after the lockdowns, most of them, like Boston, there, uh, most of these schools took a beating, and like there's hardly much kung fu left. Right. I think, uh, kung fu, if it doesn't go through some sort of revival, it's just going to be one of these rare things that are going to be going to find like a few clicks of it here and there, but it's right. going to be a little bit more, it's a little more difficult to find. 
Sure, sure. And uh, you mentioned earlier you used to watch uh, kung fu movies on the Black Belt Theater on the weekends. What is, uh, what is your favorite kung fu movie? Well, I like Master Killer. I like uh, Shaolin versus Lama. I like The Prodigal Son. You know, the, the, but it was, there's some other ones too, you know. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, those are all great. Those are some of the classics, you know? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Cool. Hey, Jim, this was a lot of fun. We got to do this more often, man. Sounds great to me. Sounds when good. You come, when are you coming back to New York? I was there last week. I was there last week on, on, uh, on, for a funeral, though. Sorry, I couldn't, oh. couldn't, make, it, couldn't make it, you know. But Understood. The, uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to get down there, actually, to... Come, you say hello. I want to go over to uh, see uh, uh, Uncle Fi and right. uh, go visit maybe some family. So maybe after the holidays, I can take a little trip down. And, uh, yeah, sure. Let me know, man. It'd be great to see you again. I think the last time I saw you was right before all the big lockdowns and stuff. Because I remember you were here and it was like starting to be these rumblings of everything's going to be closed down we were we went to the tea shop over here and it was already starting yeah, to, yeah, it was in the air at that time so yeah and that was the last time i saw you yeah that's true that's true the time before that was a burger it was the that was the chew and screw the chew and screw yeah yeah jim always comes by to see me he'll always come by to see me and like we'll eat something real quick like all right gotta go so we call them the chew and screw like the screw off right after he finishes eating right so uh yeah yeah next time we need we need a little more time man uh that'd be great so thank you so much for uh making it out here man this was awesome i had a really really good time yeah it's always a pleasure i appreciate you and what you do for wing chun I try my best. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Jim. Okay, guys. Right. Thank you very much. Okay, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Kung Fu Genius. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the Kung Fu Genius, like this video. And if you have any questions you want me to answer on a future episode, go ahead and write them in the comments below. And as always, I'll see you guys next time. Word is I'm a Kung Fu Genius. Technique speaks for me, not lineage. Forget Jet Li, cause I'm the one. Many call me Sifu, but to you I'm Seagung. And I produce masters. You surpassed us. Your Kung Fu stiffer than corpse and caskets. City Wing Chung is the house I built. Violate the gate and your blood gets spilt. Alex Richter, always the victor. I was trying to get Jim to say something controversial. We could record it secretly and then put it on the Patreon account. That's right. Keep it for later. It's our blackmail it's just to, to, to ensure that Jim does whatever weird favor we need in the future. Okay. All right, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Kung Fu Genius. And as always, don't forget to like the Kung Fu Genius. What the f***? I f***ed up. I'm not even looking at the right part of the screen. Sorry, Jim. Wow. <laughs> Take number two.